thank you all. It is a privilege and an honor to worship with you all, open God's Word together. And seniors, congratulations. Uh, you, nobody thought you could do it. Uh, just kidding. Uh, you did it. And we're honoring you. We're proud of you. And all those awkward uh, locker room talks, you know, talks next to the lockers and calculus stuff you didn't know how to finish and complete and all that stuff, like you did it. Uh, and we're very thankful and we honor you. Um, if you will, open your Bible to Genesis 22. So uh, because of that, we're going to talk about how God asked the father to sacrifice his son. So you can see the correlation clearly. No, uh, I understand. It might be a little weird why I chose this passage, uh, this very familiar passage. But as we go through it, uh, I think you'll see uh, why I chose this. Uh, And before we read it, just the context. In the last verse in chapter 21, it says, And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So Abraham uh, sojourned. He was on a journey of faith. Uh, and God was with him, and for many of you seniors, you're going to be doing the same thing. And so I thought that that is the context as we read this passage. As we read it, I want you to ask yourself this question. Uh, Why does God test Abraham on on his journey of faith? And why does God test us on our journey of faith? Why does he do that? Hear now the good news uh, of a God who loves his people enough to test him. Genesis 22, uh, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. For himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the end of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. And the voice said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behind, behold, behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Uh, this is God's word uh, given to you because he loves you. I'm um, very slowly reading through St. Augustine's great work, The Confessions, very slowly, I'm halfway through, uh, and I started in January. And in it, if you know, Augustine is uh, confessing his sins of all the things he went to, philosophies and women and power, prestige, that he thought would satisfy him in this world. But he tells it, uh, and eventually, that God saved him from that. But in it, uh, he tells another story, of course, he was a professor of rhetoric, And in his confessions, he tells a story of another professor of rhetoric 
named Victorinus and his friend Simplicianus. So if you want some baby names, there you go, free of charge. Okay, you're welcome. I think you're going to get that. And Simplicianus is an ancient, old father in the church, godly saint. And Victorinus is his friend since childhood. And Victorinus came to him. Uh, oh, I got to tell you about Victorinus. He is a noble statesman. He's a professor. He's an educator of the nobility, of the senators, uh, of the social and cultural Roman elite. Like he is the cream of the crop. And he publicly worshipped and sacrificed to the Roman gods. And so one night, though, Victorinus said, well, if I am well-read in philosophy and literature, I might as well read the Christian scriptures. And taking up the holy book, he read it and became convinced of its truth. And so he came to Simplicianus in private and said, rest assured, my friend, that I am now a Christian. What do you think Simplicianus said? He said, "Uh, I shall not believe it, nor will I set you down as a Christian until I see you in Christ's church. Now, why would he say that? Simplicianus, just like us, does not believe that going to church this morning saves us, right? Jesus and his blood saves us and faith in him. But he said it because he was testing his friend Victorianus and said, uh, if you actually believe God in private, then you will evidence. It will show itself publicly. Your faith will be demonstrated in your actions in the outside world. And of course, Simplicianus just stole this from Jesus, who was like, you know, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Ain't nothing new here. And I say that story because uh, in this passage, we read of God testing Abraham on his journey of faith. And it's going to reveal something about Abraham. And in our journeys of faith, and seniors and yours, uh, it's going to reveal something about you as you journey in your faith and walk with God as he tests you. And I know seniors, look, I know you're scared and nervous, you're excited, you don't know what's going to bring in front of you. Abraham and Isaac are on his journey of faith, he didn't know God was going to ask him to do this. But I hope you're encouraged that as we go through this passage uh, and this story together, that God's not only going to reveal something about who you are, something about you, but also something about himself, which I think will be extremely encouraging to us all, especially as you transition from one stage in life to another. This might be a bit unorthodox, but journey with me, pun intended, uh, through this familiar story uh, as we try to understand um, and get this ancient story and the faith of our father Abraham into our bones. That's why we retell stories over and over again, right? So the Hebrews did, and we're going to do that today. So it's a familiar story, but let's tell it again. In verses 1 through 3, uh, Isaac, you have to understand, made this journey with his father over 4,000 years ago. It's a long time. Abraham was over 100 years by now. Isaac, his age is a little more blurry. The Hebrew word there could be lad, boy, or young man. I, I prefer uh, the latter interpretation, that he is this uh, teenager blossoming into adulthood, both in body and mind. And this is also a pivotal point in his life as he goes on this journey with Abraham. And you can imagine how this happens. Maybe he's outside after dinner, Isaac, playing in the fields with his pet goat, Nellie. We don't know. And Abraham, uh, the Lord just came and talked to him, and so Abraham goes out to him, and there's a soberness to him. And he looks, and there's a deepness in his eyes when he tells Isaac, we're going to worship uh, God. We're going to sacrifice to him. And Isaac would have known very quickly that this was serious because when you sacrificed back then, that meant you were going to worship the God. And of course, our journeys of faith, the end goal is always worship. Now, of course, <clears throat> Isaac had no idea uh, what else the Lord had told him. Talk about daddy issues, right? Um, probably would have had to, to work through that pretty quickly. But even if Abraham had told Isaac, Isaac would not have been uh, surprised by this, okay? Now, my non-Christian friends, when we talk about this, they're like, what kind of God does this? Masochistic, he's sadistic, and you worship him? I understand. But for Isaac and all of the ancient Near East and the original readers, uh, hearers of this story, would not have been surprised at all because, you know, Ur, the Chaldeans, and the Babylonians, you know where 
Abraham was called out of. Uh, he had made this journey before, by the way, at the beginning of his life. And now at the end of his life, God's asking him to make the same journey of faith. But they would not have been surprised. All those gods asked their worshipers to sacrifice humans to them. And most of them would, would have asked for child sacrifice. This was a very common thing back then. Because the gods uh, in Mesopotamia needed human flesh for food. So they would not have been surprised at all that some god that Abraham follows is asking him to fa- sacrifice his son, okay? That would not have been a big deal. But what would have surprised them is how the story ended. See, all the other gods, they actually made the worshipers go through with it. They actually had to sacrifice their kids. But in our story, okay, getting ahead of myself. Let's not get there just yet. So, it's verses 3 and 4, okay? They take out early in the morning. You see Abraham, his faith, immediate obedience, early in the morning. The sun in the, or, is, has not come up yet. The moon and the stars are illumining their way as they traverse the wilderness. And it's three days. Young men, these two young men, Isaac and his dad. And it's probably a sober trip. We're probably not talking much. And finally, uh, they wake up and they see uh, the place, the mountains from afar early in the morning. And this is where Abraham tells his, the other young men, his servants, to stay there. And he and the boy are going to go worship God together. Now they take off, you can imagine the scene, verses 6 through 8. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew narrative slows down for us. It wants us to sit in this scene a little bit. And so let's sit in this scene together. You can imagine how this, how this went. Abraham takes the wood and he puts it on his son's back. He placed it on his son, it says. And he takes in his hands the fire and the knife. And they walk on towards the mountains together. And the sun is behind them early in the morning. And Abraham, Isaac notices his dad's going slow, methodically. It's like he's trying to wade through the Tigris and the Euphrates through flood season. Because he knows what God is asking him to do. But then, uh, like all teenage boys, thinking their dad's kind of losing it a little bit, okay? Uh, we got the fire and the knife. <laughs> you know, I got the wood on my back, but where's the lamb? Like, that's the main part when you do a sacrifice. Even I know that. He's getting old in age. Uh, I got to let him know. And so maybe the uh, scene went something, went something like this. And Isaac speaks up and he says, Avi, my father. And Abraham, continuing to walk, says, Henani, Beni. Here am I, my son. And Isaac tells him of the predicament, that there is no meat, Dad. We need the meat. And this is where you can imagine Abraham turning around with his back to the mountains, facing the light of the sun and the sun of his face, his son's face, and saying to him as he grabs him and says, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, that's the word we use. We get it from this story 4,000 years ago. The Lord will provide. At this moment, you can imagine the tears that had been welling up in Abraham's heart and his eyes eventually burst down onto his cheeks as the weightiness of what God had asked him to do came upon him, that he was asking him to sacrifice a son that he loves. And the tears wet his cheeks and drenched his beard and his tunic all the way down to his dusty, dirty toes because God is asking him to give up the one that he loved. You see, on our journeys of faith, God often does this. He often asks us to give up the thing that we love. And now we get a hint of why God tests Abraham and why God tests us. And this is why Simplicianus told Victorinus, I want to see you in church. Because by testing us, God reveals what we love most in this world. Um, and, And God will have no rivals. You see, God made this whole world and he made everything in it. 
And that if we take these good things that God gives us and we make them the ultimate things, we put them in the place of God in our hearts and they became the ultimate things that we love. And God knows that they will never satisfy us. They will ultimately destroy us if we try to replace God with them. And I've lived a few short years in this world, but I know that each one of you has something that you love very close in your heart. I do. And what would it mean for God to test you to give up that thing that you love, your career, your family, friendships, maybe actually having a friend who knows something about your life and that your marriage isn't as great as you think it is and everyone thinks it is, your reputation, your iPhone? What if God asked you to give up those things that you love? And now, uh, I will say this, that Abraham did love Isaac. You have to understand. Uh, God gave him this boy after 100 years of having been denied one from him and Sarah. And even after 25 years, uh, he still didn't get the promised child, right? And so Abraham, I guarantee you, woke his boy up in the middle of the night just to hold him when he was a little kid. <laughs> just to hear that little heartbeat and that little warm face. And he used to put him on his knee and tell him stories. And he'd tickle him and he'd wrestle with him at bedtime, right? Like he'd do all those things. He'd tell him to eat his vegetables at dinner. He'd take him out for a walk into the fields after dinner and throw the ball with him. And, and while his son's running around trying to catch fireflies, you know that Abraham's looking at him and dreaming about what his boy might be when he grows up, what he might do in this world. But I'll tell you this, it was not just sentimentality that Abraham loved Isaac. It was way more than that. You see, Isaac is the chosen seed. He's from the line of the one who's going to crush the serpent's head. The whole world is going to be to bless through this seed, through Abraham and Isaac and his offspring. You think you've got, uh, you know, issues with your parents and pressure from them, okay? Like, that's nothing when your daddy's telling you you're like, supposed to bless the whole world through this line. And Abraham, no doubt, would have told Isaac, as he's sitting on his knee, over and over and over again, this story that God had told him. This story that begins in creation, that God made this whole world in a span of six days, and all of it very good. On the seventh day, he sat back and he enjoyed it. He rested and enjoyed what he had made. And he, paid, he made Adam and Eve, and he put them in a verdant and vibrant and lush garden, and he walked with them, and he provided for them. But then Abraham, of course, would have gotten very serious at this point and talked about Genesis 3, the worst day in human history, when Adam and Eve believed the lie of the creature rather than that of the creator. They took the love that was for God alone, and they placed it on themselves. They, they, they believed the lie. You can be like God, the servant said, and they believed it. And they ate of the tree from which they were commanded not to eat. But this, this is the moment when Abraham would have gotten a twinkle in his eye because he would have continued to say that even on that worst day, when God is sending them out of paradise because they're ruining this world, he gives them a promise that it would not always be so, that they would make it back to paradise, that there would be one who came from the loins of Adam and from the womb of Eve who would crush the serpent's head, who would bless the whole world and make everything right again. And then Abraham would look to Isaac and be like, you're part of that seed. You're part of that offspring. You see now Abraham's tears and also the faith despite them. And this is why, as we read, the author of Hebrews rightly interprets this passage that Abraham believed even if he had sacrificed his son, God could have raised him from the dead because there was no plan B. God was going to bless this world through his offspring. Such was the faith of our father Abraham and Isaac's father as they journeyed on. And now we get to the scene is set for verses 9. Through 14, probably get there late in the day as they journey on. Climb up the mountain, God shows him the spot, and it says Abraham built the altar. You can imagine Isaac, he's not letting Isaac touch it. You sit over there. He takes the stones and he places them very carefully, meticulously, methodically. And then he takes the, the wood that is on his son's back and he places it on the altar, which will be his son's deathbed. 
the whole time praying that God might provide for him. Eventually, he realizes he can't wait any longer as the sun is setting, and he goes to his boy, and this is where it probably gets pretty blurry, pretty crazy. He puts his hands on his son's face just like he did earlier and told him that God would provide, and he told him this time that you're the one who's going to be the sacrifice. Isaac laughs it off. His dad's crazy, but then he realizes the sober realism of his dad's eyes that this is not a joke. And then terror sets in. He probably tries to run away. And, and Abraham, the, the tighter that, that Isaac struggles, the, the tighter that his grip comes. And he hoists him up onto the altar. And this is why we get those ropes. Why are there ropes? You never use ropes before. The animals are already dead in the sacrifices. You would never use ropes. The ropes are there because Isaac is not a willing victim. And he's up there, and the ropes tie him down. And, you know, and he's to be a living sacrifice. And this is where, side note, you probably think that Paul in Romans 12 gets this image where he says we're to be living sacrifices as our spiritual worship. Maybe he's thinking about this passage right here. And as Isaac is laid out on the wood and he's tied down and he's struggling with all his might, Abraham grabs a knife. And this is where tears start to flow down. He holds it aloft in the late afternoon sun, glint and gleams off of the blade, and he tenses his muscle and Isaac screams and then they hear it. I mean the most beautiful sound that they would have ever heard. It's like the sound of seven thundering, rushing waterfalls. And yet it was as gentle as a midsummer's breeze. And it said to them, Avraham, Avraham. And Avraham just said, Henani, here am I. And the voice said, don't you touch that boy. For now I know that you fear me, that you love me, that you trust me. Because you would not withhold from me the one thing that you love most in this world, your son. And if Isaac was to write an epithet, I'm sure it would go something like this. The blade which was to slay me became instead the knife that saved me as my father ripped the cords which bound me. And behind them they hear a sound, and it's a ram. It's his horns caught in a thicket. And father and son embrace and laugh in tears as God really did provide for them on that day. The ending of the story teaches us Something else, not only about who God is, but it reveals about who, uh, who, who we are, but it also reveals something about who God is. That God is a God who provides. And why would he sacrifice, uh, you know, why would he give, you know, a ram in the place of Isaac? Why would he provide for you and me? Because he loves us. And that this is the story of scripture. That God providing for his people on their journeys of faith because he loves them. This is why, of course, um, he provides clothing for Adam and Eve and their naked shame in the garden. And he provides them a promise for their wanderings east of Eden. He provides a boat of salvation for Noah in a world filled with violence. And he provides an old couple, Abraham and Sarah, a child in their old age. He provides rescue for his people in slavery. And he provides manna from heaven and water from a rock when they're in the desert. In the desert. He provides an invisible army of angels to his prophet Elijah, and he provides just one angel for Daniel in the scary sleepover in the Den of Lions. And like all things, uh, this, this theme of God providing for his people on their journey of faith because he loves them finds its fulfillment in the life of Jesus, who provides calm in the midst of storms, food in the midst of hunger, sight to the blind, cleansing to disciples' dirty feet. And of course, he provides tears in resurrection life to Mary in the midst of her loss of her brother Lazarus. You see, our God really is the God who provides for his people on their journey of faith. Uh, I'll conclude with this. I think we all want to know what happened with Victorinus, right? Besides, what were his parents thinking when they named him Victorinus? Well, eventually, Victorinus, 
went uh, to his friend Simplicianus and said these most beautiful words. He said, let's go to church. And of course, what that meant was that he was ready to profess his faith publicly for all to see. And the custom back then was that you enrolled in a class for instruction and for baptism. And eventually, they had this cool thing where you would go out to the public square in the marketplace and in front of all of Rome, you would tell them that your faith is no longer in these other philosophies, ideologies, or yourself, but in God alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And the elders of the church knew that if uh, Victorinus did this, he would lose his job, which he did, by the way. That he would be scorned by his friends and his peers, and no one would ever want him to educate their children in the social and cultural elite. And so they told him, hey, um, we can do this in a private setting if you want. But Victorinus had met the risen Lord. He had met Jesus and his love and knew he, he would scorn the wisdom of this world and the prestige and power that came with it. And in a simple faith, professed his love for Jesus and his faith in him and repented of his sins. Victorinus passed the test. Uh, seniors, look, as you leave Little Rock, you pursue your dreams, uh, you know, and some of you are going to stay here. And everyone else who's here, uh, you're on a journey of faith. And sometimes God's going to test you. Abraham passed the test, and God provided a ram for him. But I know what you're thinking, what if we don't pass the test? I feel like I haven't passed the test a lot, actually. And you probably won't in the future. What does it mean for God to provide for me then? And of course, this is where, what does it mean that God provides for you, but he gave his only son, Jesus, the one that he loves for you and for me. He didn't keep that to himself. He gave it for you to provide for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he's provided for you in your mistakes when you don't pass the test. On Isaac's back, Father, Father Abraham put the wood of the altar on his son's back, which would become his deathbed as a sacrifice. But our Father in heaven took the wood of the cross and put it on his son's back, Jesus, which would become his deathbed for our sins and for our salvation. And so my one takeaway, seniors, is that when you leave and you're in your dorm room about to go to your first class or you pack up your car and you're about to go to your new destination, that you would read this story. You take two minutes and remember that God has provided for you. He's with you. He loves you on your journey of faith. Read it over and over again and remember that uh, Jesus passed the test you couldn't pass, and yet he still died a death that you deserved. He loves you. He's provided for you. Would you trust him? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for familiar stories. Thank you for your word that you've, you've given to us because you love us. And thank you for your son, Jesus, who you did not spare, who you gave up for us. You did not keep it to yourself in heaven. That on a journey of faith, we know that in everything we do, that you are with us, that you have provided for us, and that you love us. Be with these seniors. Thank you for the work you've done in their lives. And be with them as they go on their journey of faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.